Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Is this the real life or is this just a fictional reality? Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Fictional Reality, an immersive experience design podcast where in this season, season two, I interview various puzzle makers, escape room enthusiasts and creators, immersive experience designers, uh, immersive theater creators, anyone whose speciality is designing and curating an experience for someone, uh, especially within the puzzle and mystery curiosity industry. So this week I talked to Ben from Mystery City Games. We have a a great conversation. He is his company, Mystery City Games, that he runs with his business partner. They specialize in Amsterdam and they specialize in making sort of puzzle-driven historical narrative tours of of his city. He's looking to expand in a few different countries. He's doing great. Um, The business is going really well prior to COVID and lockdown. This was recorded a few weeks ago now. Um, everything should still hold up in terms of timeline-wise. But yeah, so he had to uh, transition from that pretty rapidly throughout the lockdown and decided to create an online interactive PDF mystery experience, which I just really loved. I played it and thought it was really brilliant. It's really beautifully made. Um, he's got a very good eye for detail and the quality of his products come from a very sincere and authentic place. I don't have much more to say other than just to let the interview speak for itself. If you're interested in learning how to make outdoor, uh, experiences or looking into the mind of the habits of someone who is a consistent creator, then Ben is a great person to listen to. I hope you enjoy this interview and we'll catch you next time. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of Fictional Reality. Thank you for joining us, Ben. Uh, Good morning. I am going to let you take it away in just a second, but this is uh, part of the season where we talk to experienced designers and puzzle and narrative designers in the uh, experienced design world, which a lot of that is crossover and mystery and narrative mystery. And uh, today I'm talking with Ben from Mystery City Games. So Ben, Take it away. Who are you and uh, what do you do? Good morning. My name is, as you said, Ben. I live in Amsterdam and I'm the co-founder of Mystery City Games. We make historical treasure hunts uh, in Amsterdam and we're expanding to other cities. We plan to expand a bit quicker, but certain world events have slowed us down. (laughs) All our stories are historically accurate, so we like to find lesser known stories about cities and then use puzzles and exploration as a way to tell them. I have a background in tour guiding, so I was born out of that, and in theater, so it's inspired the way that we do it. And as my business partner, my co-founder likes to say, we are reimagining how people explore cities, reinventing the way people discover cities. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's been going pretty well. And when, how did this idea come about? So you were a tour guide and you thought there's, there's something more to be done here? Someone approached me about developing a treasure hunt for children. And then I approached my partner at, we went, we used to go to pub quizzes a lot. So one night after a near victory and a few drinks, mm-hmm. I said to her, there's this treasure hunt idea I want to flesh out with you. And um, she was great at actually getting it done because I would get very abstract. Like, what if it was like, she's like, let's just build something and then we'll make it bigger. It's like, yeah, but I want to know if it's, no, 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 we'll build it and then we'll see what else we want to do. Nice. And we started working. We quickly realized that we don't know any children. We didn't know anyone with children, <laughs> but we realized we were enjoying the puzzles. And then we went to an escape room together. And then that was my first time in an escape room. And we're like, ah, this is it. It's puzzles for grownups. And then we <laughs> totally retooled it so that it would be for, for ourselves. Yeah. And uh, that's where it began. Very cool. And what was, uh, give us a rundown of that initial experience. What did it look like? It's still going. It's called The Mystery of a Secret Sender. It takes place, uh, or tells the stories of 17th century Amsterdam, what is controversially these days known as the Golden Age. People have started calling it the 17th century again because rightly so, it wasn't golden for everybody. Right. And uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a recent controversy at the Amsterdam Museum where they're like, we're just <laughs> going to call it the 17th century. So fair enough. Yeah, right. Um, um, and in it, you are tasked with, uh, well, you have to prove your worth to join a secret society. Oh, we're having a little bit of a playback issue. The actual historical secret society, the eponymous. Sorry? Oh, we just lost you for a second, uh, Ben. Uh, we had you at secret society. You're joining a... A real secret society. Yes, you have to join a real secret society called the Order of the Rosy Cross or the Rosicrucians. And to do so, you have to follow the trail of one of their historic members that we've dubbed a secret sender. So that's a series of letters. Hmm. You go to five stops around Amsterdam at each one solving a set of puzzles. And then you open uh, a lockbox inside which there's one last puzzle which helps you figure out who was a secret sender. It takes two hours. Mm -hmm. It's about a two kilometer walk. And uh, yeah, it's gone pretty well so far. This is that very... game took. Uh, sorry, yes. No, I was saying this is very cool. Yeah, uh, how how long did it take to make? So I remember us building our first prototype. We organized a test, and we thought, great, we'll do the test, and then we'll fix what needs to be fixed, and soon enough we'll be done. And between <laughs> that moment and launching was about two years. So it took <laughs> uh, about two years to develop. Yeah, and yeah, not full time, of course, but yeah. Um, because as far as we knew, we couldn't find anyone else who was doing anything like this. So there was nowhere for us to get our inspiration from. It was all being invented, uh, as we went along and now we're much quicker with our next games. Right. Right. It was, was it from there that you sort of developed a bit of a model and a, a framework for how to create them? I wouldn't say yet that we have a model, but we definitely have learned a lot of lessons. So mm-hmm. we, we skip a lot of, uh, mistakes things like oh for example you know we don't use riddles in our games because some people get riddles some people don't get riddles and if you're not good at riddles uh then you're going to get stuck also they're very language specific and we want our games to be as uh open appeal as wide appeal as possible mm. broad appeal your your story is like i'm resonating with it hard um i have a like a story same same but different with uh my developing of 
a similar adventure. I, I created the date night treasure hunt, um, which, which was a series of, um, I used riddles originally and it, it found that they were, no matter how simple you made them, if someone started in the wrong location, they could almost twist them to fit anything and would twist them to fit any random thing. Um, and so I created this date night treasure hunt as very simply just like a, you know, step from location to location and do something cute at each location. And from there it was like, this is great. Like uh, talking to people who had like that concept of the date night treasure hunt, were like, Hey, you got to get into the tourism sector and do something with tourism. And I'm like, yeah, let's explore like the, the city's history. And I created um, something called Hargrave's legacy, which is, you know, this thing about finding this long lost gold piece of gold and it would take you to these historical sites and just sitting around thinking about it talking about it is like this is cool like i could probably have something up by this weekend for people to test and you realize it's it is quite a mammoth task like for every solution you come across for one particular problem or to solve a particular puzzle of your own to create the product three more problems will come up and if it's, you know, it's like, if you're trying to scale it out so that everyone can play it, then you're faced with all these certain constraints here. And um, I'm just a bit interested in what were some of the the difficulties that you found and then the solutions that you came across to get that final prototype two years later. So it was a long journey. There are certain things that you know, everything's working fine until the last test. And you're like, oh, well, it, it doesn't work. All it takes is one bad test to make you reimagine, uh, reconsider every decision you've made so far. Okay. For example, one puzzle we used, used a 350-year-old tower, and there's some golden letters written on it. Well, one day they start um, renovations on it, a restoration project that's going to take two years. Okay, mm. goodbye, tower. <laughs> uh, we did one where we... There's a bridge in Amsterdam people put their love locks onto, which they shouldn't. It's bad for the bridges. Right. But we thought we'll hide one on there. And that'll be a cool physical thing to find in the environment. Mm. But the city cut them off every week. So every time we put it, we realize, okay, actually hide. Mm. Hiding stuff in the city gets dangerous day if stuff is still there. I appear to have frozen again. Is that the case? Ah, uh, yes, you're back. We didn't miss very much this. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So hiding stuff in the city. And then a big one is in Amsterdam, it rains like two thirds of the time. So mm. everything had to be made waterproof. So we had to figure out how to make stuff survive the wet. So we discovered paper types that are completely waterproof. And uh, yeah. So the first versions are all like our, our archives are all soggy and running ink. But our current editions are all uh, perfectly weather resistant. <laughs> nice. And how is I? Would you say the rendition you have of that first game puzzle is that that's set, or do you um, do you still have to sort of modify it if something changes, or have you been able to yeah keep it as it is? I think that one. It took a long time after launching it. Uh, I would say it was at least a year before the current edition was finished. So mm. it's still always evolving it, mutating it. We have a system in the game where people can phone if they need help. Mm. And we found if people are consistently calling at the same spot, the puzzle is not balanced enough. 
So then we would adjust that. Now after, I mean, we've had a few thousand people play it. Uh, I think that game, The Mystery of a Secret Sender, is pretty solid. And once we sort of had that one locked down, we felt confident that we could start working on our next game, which was called Operation 45, An Adventure in Diamonds. And that Ooh. one didn't take two years to prepare. Right. What was the time difference in comparison? Well, as a challenge to ourselves, we decided to design it in one hackathon weekend where we <laughs> would, my partner and I just met up and said, okay, we're going to meet on Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And on Sunday afternoon, we're going to test this game with some friends. It bears little resemblance to the game as it is now, but mm-hmm. it definitely got us uh, off and running. Uh, the route is different. The, mm-hmm. the way we tell the story is different, but the main story behind it, which is again, a historical story, a real story. Amsterdam was for centuries a diamond center. And when the Nazis attacked, there was a really big fear that they would get their hands on the diamonds, which were not only incredibly valuable, but they were used in machining tools. And so we didn't want them to be able to make tanks with our diamonds. Hmm. And so a mission was sent to recover them. And it's a very little known mission. In all of the history books, you may find a sentence or two somewhere. And we were able to track down some more details and tell our story about it. And it's a heck of a story. And uh, it's got all the hallmarks of a great adventure, doesn't it? Just like, we got to get the diamonds back for the good of the country. (laughs) That's so cool. It's like a, it's like a heist rescue mission. Yeah. 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 and, And it's all real as well, which that's why we like to tell real stories as well is because the way we figure there's so many cool stories that are real. Once you've told all of those, then we'll start making stuff up. But for now, just want to, use the opportunity to yeah, right. celebrate these crazy people who risked everything. And look, there's something, I mean, that it's, it's no coincidence that my podcast is called fictional reality sort of for that reason, because we, when you find out something is real or at least it's, it's using the real world or it's like versed within that world, uh, there's some extra part of excitement in you that, that you have that's sort of like, blurring the lines between fiction and reality. And when you've got a real story, it's like you're actually a part of something, something that really happened uh, and something that is like, yeah, tangibly in front of you when you're standing in the spot that, you know, um, some event happened. It's exciting. You can really feel it when you're there. Yeah. I had that recently. Now the museums are opening up again in Amsterdam. So I went to the Van Gogh Museum with my girlfriend and one of the paintings they mentioned in the description, he painted this on a beach and it was windy and there's sand in the paint that you can see. It's like, oh man, that really gives you that visceral sense of being there. Yeah, right. Which is one of the, it's hard to describe, but it is, it is an experience in and of itself that, yeah, that viscerality. Um, so I'm curious, you came up with this treasure hunt. Um, you, you prototyped it. Walk me through the process of, how you began selling it like what you you mentioned you're working in a day job but you've transitioned into working in as in mystery city games what did that process look like so we at one point we just said let's just launch we'll push the button on the website so it's active and booking started coming in very slowly at first i was incredibly fortunate that my work at the time as tour guide was very flexible Mm -hmm. and very limited hours a day so I just set up the booking so they were around my normal stuff. Nice. And bit by bit, we grew. We started to get some good reviews on TripAdvisor. Mm-hmm. And we started to rise in the ranks there. And just people started to notice it. And I, we 
we in the market we sit in a nice spot in between escape rooms and tours so mm. if someone wants to do a tour but they're sort of done with the traditional type they want to try something different you should play our game or if you've done a lot of escape rooms but you want to try something different do our game mm. especially if you're traveling to travel all the way to budapest and then lock yourselves indoors so god why not do a version that's got you running around and seeing the city totally and so it's just hard to grow you're connected with people and I, uh, this is the thing that inspired me to sort of change my life toward this sort of puzzle adventure um, pathway was the no brainer of, yeah, you, you have tours, which are quite fun. Um, and you just, you know, you're, but there, there's something about when you solve the puzzle, you get that like aha moment that a, a tour guide or a tour is not really going to give you that escape rooms almost exclusively deal in is just aha moment to aha moment. So to be able to combine this sort of like learning about the world and learning about your environment with this feeling of accomplishment and being rewarded for um, giving yourself a challenge is just like, if you can pull it off, it's a, it's a no brainer, but that that's the, the crux is like, if that's you can pull challenge. it off. Yeah. That's why the first one took two years. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. you're reflecting on it too. Like I, I have one that date night treasure hunt. I can never, I always have this, grand scheme of like i want to print off a hundred copies or i want to make it so that i could just like here it is and put it out into the world which in a sense i've done but i can i can never bring myself to print off 10 or more copies because of that just like maybe it's a bit of a fear but it still feels like it's in development it's like and as you notice the thing could change you have to you have to be um which has happened to me of here's something that's carved into the stone, just like your story with the centuries old tower, what could go wrong? And then all of a sudden I had it, I went by a park one day and I had a client who's going to do a treasure hunt the very next day. And I thought, you know, I'll just go by just to make sure it's still there. And uh, I ride by this park and sure enough, the entire park is being completely refurbished. And it was like, Oh my gosh, uh, the nothing is sacred. Um, we had that recently again in Amsterdam. We had this beautiful 3D rendition of Rembrandt's Night Watch on the, on the Rembrandt Square. So you can walk through these statues and they all have details and coins and images on them. And then the city couldn't make a deal with the artist anymore and they disappeared. So a big part <laughs> of our puzzle that was there. It's like, oh, and it was so cool. So, well, right. but we found alternatives. But it's, well, uh, it just comes out of nowhere. And that's, I guess that's the other thing I'm, I'm starting to trust in my own process is that um, for every cool thing that you can't do or that you have to look past or every creative limitation that's put on you, um, when you're passionate and you're inspired, that while it initially might be quite disappointing, that becomes your best ally sometimes in helping you to look in places you wouldn't normally look or try things that you, um, that you otherwise wouldn't have tried before. Which brings me yeah. to um, my next question about your, um, your online game that you made. Uh, I downloaded that last week and started playing it. And uh, for, I'll let you go through a bit of a um, description of what it is. But, you know, it's a, it's a click-throughable PDF. And I just thought that was so cool. It really reminded me of, have you ever, there was a really old game on the internet that I found after I, um, started playing this called the Stickville Murders. Oh, it, Sounds cool. I don't know it. It's it's as um, 
it's MS Paint level of detail. You know, it, it's someone who just had fun on MS Paint. You can tell it's a passion project. And I think the only, someone found a like, it, it got the original site got taken down, but on Reddit, you can find these games. Someone's reposted them somehow. And they're just these really fun click through murder mystery game. And the, the trees of clicking through are very broad. Like you can go all around the town and you can click on all these different items in, in the window and stuff. And it ends up telling quite a complicated tale. And your, your game had reminded me of them and I hadn't played them for like 10 years or something. Um, so it's very cool, but yours is very schmick, very polished. You have an online digital computer database that accompanies this massive um, PDF document. So just tell us a little bit about what this game is, how we can get it. And uh, yeah, then we'll go into how you actually made it and made it so quickly. So yes, it's called A Death in the Red Light. It's a concept we had for another city game, but then when everything locked down, we thought, oh, well, I wanted to try and make something people could play at home. And so we adapted that story for it. It is again, a real historical story. It takes place in the 1980s in Amsterdam, in the red light district, which was a very seedy part of town at the time. While Amsterdam may still have that reputation, today it's very cosmopolitan and clean and chic. But in the 80s, the red light district in particular, there are areas the police wouldn't go into. It was violent and, and stinky and rough. Right. And one day a dead body appeared and it's your job as the, you know, gruff detective to figure out what happened. Hmm. Uh, it's a point and click adventure. It goes back to what you were saying before as well, that with creative limitations that I love limitations because they force you to be creative. Hmm. Uh, so we decided if this is going to be a play at home game, well, what are puzzles that we can use in that format that we couldn't use in a city game? Right. So certain things don't work well in a city game, like decoding a message is not that fun when you're sitting with four people standing outside, like, oh, okay, the, the squiggly line is an F and, oh, there's <laughs> another one. It's just too slow. But if you're sitting down as a detective, you can piece these things together. And it's a lot more fun. So it was about finding what can we do with an online game that we couldn't do with a city game. And so it was a lot of fun in the creative process. Hmm. Uh, also, it's figuring out where our talents lie. I'm not a programmer, so there's no way I could make it out of JavaScript mm. or a more relevant programming language. I'm also not an illustrator, so all the artwork has to be done in a certain way. I do the, I'm more of a graphic designer, so I can take pieces and move them together. Mm -hmm. And that affected the design choices and the coloring and, and the storytelling. My partner, Emily, she mentioned that, oh, can't PDFs let you click stuff? And I, had no idea. So I opened up InDesign. It turns out it can. And while it's a bit of a, it's not something people are used to using PDFs in that way, mm. um, but it works really well for our needs. And so it was a lot of fun putting together and it ended up being something like there's 30 different puzzles. There's different routes you can take through it. So you'll finish the game and there'll still be a whole bunch of stuff you haven't seen. You can always go back and check it out. Right. And putting it together quickly came about, um, we created an outline and then, uh, yeah, I, I love designing puzzles and doing graphic design stuff. So hmm. I can spend all day sitting here being like, how do I make this feel like a police folder and get the graphics <laughs> right? And ooh, what shade of red will light up his face? <laughs> right. And, uh, where where do I get fun. the right texture for this, uh, for this manila folder? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. I have downloaded many man manila folder images. <laughs> um, and it's called, yeah, it's called a death in the red light. It takes about two hours to play. 
-hmm. for fun, I also created a Spotify playlist that people can put in the background, which has all this sort of moody, jazzy backdrop. It's very cool. um, I actually listened to it just on my drive. I, I live um, now an hour away from my hometown and uh, I very much enjoyed listening to that uh, sultry jazz on the way down as it was raining the other day. Uh, Yeah. It's not something I normally listen to, but I found myself listening to that playlist while I was working as well. It's like, ah, it's actually kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I found that too. Um, Listening to music that matches the theme of what you're writing and well, maybe, maybe you'll relate as, um, you mentioned some theater experience. Uh, I like to, when I write from the perspective of someone, you know, I enjoy trying to get into the mind of the character. And I found as cheesy as it is listening to the music of either that era or that character helps you just think a little bit like another person sometimes. Yeah. And in writing the diet, writing the, the narrative for this game as well, it's, it's in a very noir voice. So mm. putting on some jazz in the background, you know, uh, cobblestones glisten in the rain sort of get into the the max pain vibe yeah so a few yeah. years ago i discovered in playing board games which i'm also a big fan of that someone for every board game someone on spotify has made a playlist if you like settlers of Catan, it'll be full of uh lord of the rings music and mm. you know some sort of pastoral vibe and it's always added to the experience so i just remembered that when i was making this one yeah, right. Well, it goes well together. And uh, yeah, like I said, I started playing it the other day and I'm just waiting to finish it with, uh, with my partner because we love these sorts of things. Um, and yeah, it's easy to get caught in that world all of a sudden. Of it, it doesn't take long to get the intrigue. And something I'm really interested in is sort of like guiding the players along, which I found this, this game was doing quite like quite effectively. Like I I didn't have any problems knowing where to start and it was really satisfying. Just, I I felt the the initial puzzles I did in it, um, they weren't so difficult. It was more about like, as long as you thought like a cop, you could follow it along. Um, And the puzzles weren't too cryptic. It was like, oh, maybe it's this. Oh, cool. Excellent. Now I'm through the door and onto the next, next part there. Um, yeah, it all comes down to testing as well and, uh, and trying to get the right vibe because I find when, when the instructions are too cryptic, I don't personally, when I'm doing puzzles, I don't like to spend too long trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And mm. so we have that as well. So we tell people what to do so that they can do it instead of, and I've had it before where you try to be mysterious, like check the phone numbers of the, it's like, oh, it's not clear enough. So yeah. Sometimes we even like show an example. And uh, yeah, because I think you got to keep the pace going. I've had many games that I've played. You just get to that sort of slog level. You're like, all right, I'm tired. I'm going to put it down. And then you never pick it up again. And uh, I have to admit, I've had that experience with, I was, uh, I had bought a puzzle recently and, um, and uh, yeah, I, I just had that. And, you know, I, I really wanted to get into it. And it is interesting how, if you put it down for that first time of just like, Ooh, I'm getting a bit tired now. Um, I'll come back to it later. Then you just, all of a sudden the next best thing comes along and you, you keep living your life and that just gets further and down the further down the to-do list. Yeah. And you have that with some games where you're like, Oh, I'd love to pick it back up. I forgot where I was. Mm. And yeah, I sometimes have that. For example, when I started playing Zelda, I couldn't get into it because I never played a Zelda before. And then right. I tried to pick it up again a few months later and I forgot how to do combat. So that made it very difficult. Right. 
the poor princess is still uh, awaiting rescue. <laughs> She's still out there. Oh, well, and it's on your shoulders. Yeah, I feel <laughs> guilt. Um, so you mentioned before we started recording that things are um, starting to open back up again for you and you're taking on some bookings again? Yes. So just a small fraction of what we used to have, but in Amsterdam, things have started to loosen up. Of course, this will come out a few weeks from now. So um, there's always a chance that the earth is on fire by that point, in which well, case to the listeners, hey, these are the good old days. Yeah. If you're listening to this in some like dusty cave a hundred years from now with some old, uh, somehow someone saved it on some hard drive and you've got electricity for the first time in your life, uh, thanks for choosing this podcast. It's probably a waste yeah. of time. <laughs> Yeah, but hey, we were optimistic at this point in history. But yeah, so people in Amsterdam, people are are back out. Uh, Our game, by the way, is great for, it's non-contact. You don't have to touch anyone. Um, And you play in small groups. People want to play couples against couples so you can do stuff together. So it actually suits very well. We started to have people playing, which is really nice. Got a game later this afternoon. Oh, nice. uh, Yeah, it's really nice. We also had plans to launch three new games this year in other cities in london mm-hmm. barcelona and naples mm-hmm. we're hoping to still be able to launch we were going to launch earlier in the year and much bigger but we're hoping to still get those games out there the game for london i was very excited about it was about a pandemic that took place in the 19th century oh wow it was going to launch on march 27th and then a week before everything <laughs> shut down and <laughs> now i'm afraid people might not be so into the uh the outbreak theme, but uh, look, it's an uh, interesting, I've contem- story. contemplated the same thing of like, is, is the outbreak theme something that uh, is just going to be like, Oh, come on. Or is it going to be a bit more interesting now that people can like, really, there's something to relate to it. You know, when we read about the, yeah. the Spanish flu now, or any of the flus that happened in the, the 20th century. Now it's like, yeah, I know what that felt like uh, in some, yeah. well, not exactly the same, but in some degrees for sure. Yeah. Interesting. And the story though, it's this cholera outbreak in London. It's such a good story. And we made such a great game out of it. And uh, so we're going to launch it anyway, but hopefully people like it. And there's a lot to learn from historical uh, context. Absolutely. And what's, um, so run me through how big is your, is your operation and do, how, how have you um, managed to expand out to other cities? So my business partner, Emily, she's in Barcelona studying right. at her business school. And so we're using her being there to, uh, to, yeah, as a leverage to launch there. Yeah. In London, we met two great theater makers and puzzle makers uh, called John and Viv. We met them at an escape room conference and we just got along well, had mm-hmm. a good vibe. Yeah. And John said, if you ever want to do anything in London, let me know. And I said, yeah, that sounds cool. And then, I mean, less than a year later, our game would have launched in London. So that was a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, right. Um, so we looked at partners. And then in Naples, it was a former colleague of Emily's who said, I'm, he's from Naples, said, I really want to move back there. And I loved your game and I would love to make a game. So in each city, we're trying different systems, different ways of operating them from abroad. And yep. uh, I think we'll find something that works really well. Because, yeah, if it were up to us, we'd be in every city in the world. Yeah. Well, you've got something that, um, clearly can scale, like the idea of it can scale out. Um, and you, you've obviously had great experience testing the, the simple, like what I would argue is probably the, you know, your first game, the, the beginning prototype, it's proof of concept. It works. So 
I guess now it's about finding the right stories um, and the right, the right people and the, the right production points. Yeah. And so when people um, book, you mentioned a lockbox. Is, has that become a staple? Do they pick up the lockbox from somewhere or do you mail it out or is it? Aha. Oh, This pretty. one has no locks on it. Uh, but you'd have five locks on it. Oh, I um, see. Yeah. So these games, they meet uh, a game master at the beginning. So it takes place in the city. So you would meet in Amsterdam, it would be me. Mm-hmm. Where you get a bag with all the pieces in them. So for the mystery of a secret sender, it's a lockbox with five locks. Mm-hmm. You get a uh, the book that has most of the story in it. This is the Dutch edition. Mm-hmm. And then uh, all this pretty stuff inside. Oh, wow. Uh, cool. Yeah. And then you have a notebook if you want to take notes. It comes with a bright red feather pen, which is all part <laughs> of the experience and part hey. of the logo. Yeah, right. Cool. And then all these bits and bobs. So we have these laser cut pieces that also go in with magnets on them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you use all that. You walk around the city, solve the puzzles. And then at the end, you return the book and you get a prize, a little prize, which is quite nice. But each game so far, we've enjoyed that they're all different. So it's not then for the next game, we don't just change what are in the pages and go from there. We start from scratch. So our second game, Operation 45, uh, it's in five different locked boxes. So you open each box as you go. So you can't peek ahead and see what's coming. You don't even know where you're going next because that's in the next box. Cool. In a moment, I'll just reach over. Yeah, have please. A stack of them. So we love going to flea markets and stuff when we find like these old uh, cigarette tins. Yeah, so yeah. This was luck. This is Bravo and then Charlie. <laughs> and there's some bigger ones as well. Echo. Uh, okay, cool. And, and yeah. So they, they end up circling back, um, I guess, to you, who is, who's the game master. And yeah, that, that's At the, the end, experience. We, we design. And we'll wait a moment for Ben to return. And it as well, so that it's roughly what he said. Sorry, we froze again. No, that's okay. I'm grateful that they're only slight jolts. Um, wow, that's that is quite a, a fascinating model. I had uh, with my date night treasure hunt. I mean, something I'm coming to realize: um, the more I'm moving from, like, with my business, I was, you know, part time doing it and then trying to fit it around other stuff and. I had this thing etched into my head of just like, all I will have to do is just print out a piece of paper and mail it. And that'll be it. Um, the rest of the thing is automated. And a lot of my design and development over the years has been trying to um, facilitate that automation so that it's a print and play model, which of course everyone I talk to brings up the question of like, Oh, you should make an app that does this, which I'm pretty against app you know a big part of how i sell my thing is that people won't have to use an app at all it's all just in the thing and and people respond really well to that um but that being said the limitations it removes which is like really cool stuff is like wouldn't it be cool to have boxes and and cool puzzles and and gimmicks um that people could play and interact with much like in an escape room so that's very cool to see that you've been able to incorporate that and I guess what that involves is you being a point of contact at the beginning and end of every experience. So does that yes. mean you, you have to just on a day that's fully booked, uh, you're in the middle of a, in a street cafe all day, just 
taking and giving suitcases? Well, we are very lucky to have a space in the city. Um, until COVID, now we don't. So now I'm meeting people on Dam Square, which yeah. is the central square of the city, which is fine. I also live close enough that I can cycle home. So really, cool. it, we're very fortunate here. So, but yes, on a very busy day, which I'm looking forward to having again soon, mm-hmm. um, it would be a bit of going back and forth. Uh, but before when we had our space, it was great because I had my workshop uh, in the back, I had my computer, my laser cutter, got all the stuff. Cool. Uh, so they could just come and go. They come in, here's your game, give the story, have fun, right back to work. And, uh, and like that, we could have a lot of traffic. And yeah, So right. we'll definitely, once we get busier, we'll get a space again. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, that is, that's very inspiring. Very cool. Um, so that, thank you for giving us such a, a rundown of like how you, how you operate and what your, what your stuff is. Um, how you, you've sort of touched on it a little bit, but how do you go about, uh, designing an experience? So we sort of know that the, the story comes along, but maybe give us a run through of what this, this weekend was where you, um, nutted out this, this template. What, what did that look like? What's your process there? So the first thing is the story. You have to find a story that you want to tell about your city. Yep. Um, it doesn't help to Google mysteries of London because then you'll only get mysteries that aren't solved. So you don't want to end up doing a game about Jack the Ripper for two reasons. One, it's very done. Mm. And two, no one knows who he was. So you're not going to be satisfied at the end. So right. you're like, it could have been anyone. So it's more about finding little known stories and finding a good finish line. So it's really about if you're, if it's a treasure hunt, what are you discovering? Mm. So in our first game, you're finding the identity of a person. So you end up at his house and it was working as a guide that I realized, Oh, his house was right there. And I was, I, it's on a square I used to go to all the time and I didn't know. And it has a plaque on it and it's a very interesting person. Great. That's that we started that game was with the idea, this is where it ends. We didn't know anything else. And you work your way back from there. Right. So you discover um, stories, you flesh it out. The first version of that game, you had some sort of shadowy organization who are against these liberal ideas of 17th century Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And then in research, we discovered a real organizations that sort of matched what we needed. And so we started using those instead. So it comes from, know the finish line, work your way back. And through your research, you'll find ways to make it work. Right. The and that's, that's going to help right. you really facilitate um, the mystery as well. If you, if you know of some cool pieces of information, then you can foreshadow them earlier on and make them points of interest that then you can resolve. And probably that, yeah. um, that works out to be quite satisfying, I would imagine. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We also discovered that during the game is not the time to be, telling narrative beats because people are only looking at how to solve puzzles. Mm-hmm. So trying to set up, we had it like at the end, you're like, Oh, what did you think about these characters? They're like, Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I was too busy putting pieces together. <laughs> right. So we set it up in the intro and at the end, that's where we tell the story. And in the middle you have a, a task to sort of prove your worth or solve a mystery. Oh, great. And at the end, and, when you tell that story, do you find the reaction is sort of, cause they have had all this like, maybe subconscious delivering of a narrative that when you tell the story or the puzzles start to make a bit more sense in a broader context? I think if they were to consider it more, they would think so. But uh, right. like doing the puzzles for people who like puzzle, it's like a drug. So they're just uh, yeah. getting them done. 
And then at the end, you have that satisfaction of having completed it. And they do get a little booklet telling the story in more detail. And I never know how much people read that because when they come back, I like to tell them a bit of the story too. I never know if it's uh, overkill. Yeah, it's, right. Uh, my, my intuition is that there's, there's 20% or 10% of people that really appreciate that extra bit of knowledge um, and that it's worth doing it yeah. just for those people. Oh, and our games are full of little Easter eggs that we cannot reveal. Like, I, it's hard even to discuss now because it gives away. But for example, in, in one of our games, I found a font that is the handwriting of a secretive person that, that is important in the game. So everything they write is written in their handwriting. But oh, wow. It's, uh, it's like that kind of detail. It's like, oh, I've only got a, you know, a minute to do the intro and outro. Uh -huh. I'm not going to waste time showing off my font finding skills. <laughs> uh, there's certain things that are anagrams that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. Uh, also a cool one we discovered. Are you familiar with uh, what three words? It's, uh, for treasure hunters, it's very useful. I, yeah, only, only just, I saw a movie called Under the Silver Lake um, that apparently, have you heard of Under the Silver Lake? No, there's a what to my list next to Stickman murder mysteries. Yeah, please check them out. Um, there's inside the movie is a bunch of Easter egg puzzles um, that you can solve. And I saw it on Reddit, the, the big chain that they did. Right. Yeah. It, I saw a, I, I watched a YouTube essay or video on it. And um, after I saw the movie and anyway, long and short of it, that was how I found out about what three words there's, there's a big chain of, of puzzles in that movie that leads you to a what three words. But for yeah. me and other people listening, what is what three words? So what three words is a very interesting uh, company website where they've given every square meter on earth, a three word designation. So instead of using coordinates that are 16 digits, you have to remember them that every spot on earth comes down to three words, banana, mistletoe, pineapple and that'll be someone's house somewhere so cool it's actually very useful like on the website they talk about this is it's popular in in uh mongolia for example where you don't have a lot of street addresses so if you're mm. calling an ambulance where do you tell them to go oh you give the th what three words and they'll be able to find you no problem oh wow it's a cool yeah, right uh, yeah and so you can use it anywhere it's fun to go to the website and just see what your home address is but for one of our games, we found that the finish line, the address for it was essentially finish line solution. <laughs> I won't say what they actually were because it'll give you the finish line, but it was like these three words. I was like, oh my God, but I can't use it because it's the finish line of the game and I can't tell anyone about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. right. That's, that's one of those painful things. So, well, that, I mean, that, because uh, you're, you're touching on something for me that has also been something I've been trying to, solve as my own puzzle in these experiences is you they're treasure hunts what do you give as a treasure you know what is something that is valuable to the player that can be considered a treasure and not just a crappy little thing um but that is also you know financially viable something that you can easily create and give to people and i never realized how much of a trick this was for me from the beginning i'm like yeah i'll sell treasure hunts that'd be great people love treasure hunts sort of forgetting that a big part of what people love about treasure is that the treasure is meant to sort of change your life. Um, yes. And I came across, I was like, well, you know, one thing that could be the treasure is the, the end of the story. You know, people love 
stories and they love whodunits. So why don't you give them the treasure is the last bit of the story. And then of course I figured, as you just described later, I discovered that um, when people are going on puzzle adventures, a different part of their brain is highly activated than the part that is going to sit down and read a book and really enjoy it. So the narrative was hard, but it sounds like you've found a nice solution to that, which is a, if you want more info, here is some more info um, that you yeah. get to put all your we Easter created eggs these, in. Yeah. We created these maps that we would give out after the game just for recommendations in the area. And then we oh, yeah. decided for each game, they would have their individual maps. So the world war two game operation 45, it's styled differently, but it also we use the opportunity, like here's a bit of info about various resistance fighters that you should definitely learn more about. Um, so we use that opportunity. So it's a map they'll need. If they want to find a nice place to have a sandwich. Yeah. But we, uh, we put a few extra puzzles in there and a bit more information. Also, yeah, when we were trying to figure out what the prize would be, you know, we considered the friends you make along the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> But we do give them a little prize. It's uh, actually, we've, I think we've found we, other places do it as well. Uh, we make little enamel pins. So I have one here on my hat. And, uh, people... Yeah, brilliant. And yep. they're, it's a good one because the value people give to it is higher, much higher than the cost of the item. So yes. you have to make quite a lot of them, but then people like pins. And it's something a lot of them really enjoy. And uh, we've had a good response from them. And each game has a different one. Yeah, right. And I stumbled across the same solution, pins. And see a secrets a pin to a secret society that means something to someone. They just yeah. it's like, yep, yeah, the value, especially if they've spent two hours of their life, um, it's two hours worth of value. So, you know, it it yeah. does actually mean something. And you know, I found it always makes me very happy watching them. They go, if they get it, they straight away put it in their clothes. I'm like, Oh, you're ruining your clothes for me. That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, right. you're piercing your, uh, your expensive hen's tooth garment, um, for, yeah. for some perceived value, which, which is very yeah. inherent. It's um, well-branded value. <laughs> well, that is, uh, that is very cool. Um, what, what Ben would you say to people out there who are interested in creating their own puzzles, um, designing adventures, what would be some tips and tricks or maybe some pratfalls to avoid, uh, if someone were to being beginning fresh out there? First pratfall I mentioned before would be riddles. Uh, riddles are tough and yeah. uh, some people just don't get them. Um, one, like the one bit of like manager tricks, that I have adopted is I don't like using the word problem. I swap it out for challenge. So it really helps as a mechanism for thinking of stuff. So it's like, Oh, we have a problem that it rains. No, we have a challenge that it rains all the time. So we'll find a solution. Right. So challenges uh, one solutions. So my uh, top tips would be one, the best advice I ever got from my business partner, Emily was just start building it. Don't get bogged down in how it's going to work. Build a prototype. It's much easier to iterate on something you have than to build something from scratch. Don't worry about getting everything right the first time. Your prototype is allowed to suck. In fact, mm -hmm. it's better if it sucks because it gives you more to do later on. Mm -hmm. uh, a prattful I get into is, as, since I love doing the graphic design, we'll have an idea for a puzzle and I'll spend three days making it look really cool and then we don't end up using it. So don't spend too much time on it. But it is also nice when you're testing if something feels like a printed out word document, you won't get the same result. Mm. You won't get the same uh, vibe from your players. So make mm -hmm. sure 
to make it yeah look nice if you can but work within your uh your capabilities if mm. you know photoshop use photoshop but if you don't well you can learn it it's really not that hard mm. or uh yeah do something that works better for you with treasure hunt some advice would be start from the end work your way back always yeah. know what the end result is going to be otherwise you'll find yourself you've built something great building up to a crescendo and nothing happens and that's deeply unsatisfying test yeah. and test and test again very important to test everything we say we have to idiot proof stuff which sounds a bit offensive perhaps it's not meant so but it's just if if there's a wrong way to do it someone will find it and so you have to make sure to avoid it yeah uh, kill your darlings there's stuff you're going to love that you want to keep and you just have to say it's not working and get rid of it and hopefully you'll find something different or better mm. and uh yeah and like our first game it was going to have a choose your own route sort of thing. Oh no, each solution was going to point to a different page in the journal, which told you where to go next. Well, the problem with that, the challenge with that is that if someone gets the wrong answer, it points them to the wrong page and they're off running in the wrong direction. I, so it was yeah. one test of that. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, you've something you've spoken to there in, in two different tips is sort of like your, it can be very, you can get really caught on your puzzles and how sort of like clever they are. Um, but if someone is having trouble with it, or if you test it with a group of people, like testing is so great, but it's as great as, as you are willing to listen to the testers. And I have, I've seen it happen. I've been, I've done it myself of seeing um, games tested and you just sort of think, Oh, why is this person, you know, why are these people so stupid? This is an easy puzzle. And you, like, yeah, sure. It's good to vent your frustration then, but you've really got to listen to that. And if people are, you know, really not getting your puzzles, um, then that's not, that's on you. That's on you as a designer. Yeah, exactly. It's want- never them. It's you. you. You've designed the experience. And if they can't engage with it the way you want, it's because you did something wrong. It's yeah. never their fault. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, that's, that speaks to that idiot proofing of like people, um, you know, they, they want to be inspired and they want your, your product or your experience to transform them or to, to give them a moment. So I found most people, 99% of people, they, they're willing to sort of um, be charitable to the thing. But if you have a box that, you know, with an easy, you know, something's easy to break or accidentally easy to break, as I've seen in escape rooms, people feel quite, they can feel cheated by it. It's like, ah, I just pulled it and it broke and you're there being like, well, you're not supposed to pull it, but you know, they're sort of going, I didn't know I, I, I couldn't pull it, but it broke and I got the answer and you cheated me out of a puzzle. And so making sure that things are robust. Um, yes. Is, is super. Yes. And, a, and a good challenge. Uh, I read your blog post about what makes a good puzzle. And for us, it's, we've distilled it down to one phrase, which I got somewhere else, but it was, a good puzzle makes the solver feel smart. So you want your players to feel accomplished. So it's not, oh, we ground away at it. Now I, you know, shouldn't make them feel exhausted. Mm. Make them feel like, hey, I figured it out. I'm pretty cool. <laughs> and so that makes a big difference. And That's so if your puzzles aren't clear enough and people are just banging their heads against the wall, then you're not having that effect. And it's not fun. Some people who are like really into puzzles who only do the cryptic crossword, they might enjoy it, but that's going to be a lot harder to get the, the mass appeal. Yeah. Yeah. And I found those sorts of people are, 
they're, they're quite forgiving of easy puzzles as well. Like, you know, they'll be like, you know, cause they, they know they're sort of like, ah, this is a bit too easy, but it was fine. Yeah. I think perhaps like a, a concert pianist may enjoy a jingle now and again, you know, they, they can see what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, Ben, let's, let's wrap it up there. That, um, what a great story. What a great, I, I can't wait uh, to come to, you're, you're in Amsterdam. That's correct. That's right. Can't wait to come to Amsterdam and, and do, do one of your games, play one of your games, or maybe London or, um, or Barcelona, Barcelona, perhaps. Naples. Maybe we'll be in Australia. Hey, I would be keen for that. Because um, sure. they sound like a lot of fun. And I love learning about a city. So learning about it using puzzles and having a bit of a, a theater and a story involved, at, it's a winning combo. And I'm, I'm glad to see that you have been succeeding as you've been going along with it. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, I didn't know it was my dream, but my dreams came true. Like doing this is the most fun I've ever had. So I want to keep doing it. And I'll direct people to your Instagram. Speaking of which, um, I'll direct people to your Instagram page, which um, if anyone is interested in making any puzzles, uh, take a look at Mystery City Games on Instagram. Uh, that's, is that, that's the handle? Yeah, at Mystery City Games. Yep. Um, yeah, you've been... We're doing a... Sorry, I'll let you tell about it. Oh, more convincing if you say <laughs> I'll spruik it a little. Um, I would say almost it, it's been pretty much daily. I, I'd say at least every weekday almost you've been releasing uh, a new puzzle. It's a little bit of a today in history puzzle. They're all unique. They all have a, uh, I'm just going to brag about it. Uh, not brag. I'm just going to just like um, flap about it for a bit. Cause I, I was very impressed. Um, they all look, they all have a unified aesthetic, but they're all very unique in what they are and, um, and what they, uh, how they're made. So yeah, if you're interested in getting in on the ground floor of puzzle design, I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. There's also a good example. You talked before about design limitations and became, okay, how can we design a puzzle that fits in a little square that has to tell a historical story from that day. Mm-hmm. And it's been a great challenge and it's a good way just set yourself a little goal of creating something a few times a week. It mm-hmm. keeps the muscles uh, strong. Yeah. Abs- yeah. It's totally like going to a gym um, and, and practice makes perfect with these things. So I'm sure you're developing a, a small arsenals of, of puzzles that you'll be able to just, Oh yeah, cool. This will go here and this will go here when you design later. That's, that's our dream one day is to have an encyclopedia. We'll say, Oh, we'll take a type seven and mix it with a, and then uh and then some sort of uh some mathematician puzzler will create some formula uh, uh, with that encyclopedia of like ah well this will be a uh you know a type seven puzzle tree and it'll have a a three and a six make together make a nine and all this boom then we can all retire (laughs) well cool well um thank you very much ben uh people listening at home make sure you check out mysterycitygames.com um, mysterycity.com. Ah, mysterycity.com. Uh, all the links will be in the bio and the description, um, for everything that we've referenced in this episode today. So, uh, lovely. Thanks for coming on, Ben. Absolute pleasure. It's nice to meet you. And I look forward to coming to Australia and trying out your games as well. Yeah, there we have it. Another episode wrapped up and in the can. Thank you for listening. I thought I would give you a bit of an update of where we're at at the moment. Um, For anyone that's interested in fictional reality, in the puzzle maker, in immersive experience and mysteries, 
Uh, I did just finish creating... Oh, sorry, creating. I did just finish playing in Cluedo, the immersive game. Uh, the interactive game, sorry. A show up in Brisbane, my hometown. An immersive show based on um, Cluedo. We had all the cast, all the famous characters of Cluedo. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It really reinvigorated my love of immersive theatre. So I am aiming for February next year of releasing or performing the Time Travel Cafe, a bit of an idea that I've been working in the back of my mind, but being around all of my actor friends and, and creatives in that way really stirred that up a little bit. So I've got a few things to finish before then, but the Time Travel Cafe will be something to look out for. If you're interested, please send me an email and hit me up if you've got any, uh, any ideas that you'd like to pass on or advice about creating immersive theatre done it before so i know my way sort of around the environment a little bit but always looking for more helpful helpful bits of information um other than that the puzzle maker is taking a little bit more of a backseat of my life as uh, the world starts to reopen and while the puzzle maker is not my prime source of income anymore i or at all or ever was um i i do need to make some money to live so i'm working as a games writer for a team building company amongst other things and unfortunately the puzzle maker will have to continue to grow slower than i wish it to nonetheless it's still going along i'm still working on a few things the date night treasure hunt is out online you can buy the interactive online pdf for free no for free it's not free it's not free at all it's only free if you have the special code um which, if you care, is somewhere on my Instagram. But you can purchase it um, for $25. It's a really nice experience. I'm very proud of it. And I'm currently working on a physical copy. And hopefully I'm going to connect with some businesses. Um, I have some commissions coming up along the pipeline. Uh, a hen's night, maybe, and a corporate gig. I will then be releasing the burger puzzle and the mystery puffs. And then the time travel cafe so check out for those look out for those it's a it's a longer journey and if covid has taught me anything it's to be a little bit more patient and let things grow slowly so anyway if you're an immersive experience designer or a puzzle creator please hit me up um head to the website puzzledreality.com puzzlingreality.com crap i've forgotten own website hit me up on instagram at the puzzled maker or go to i think that's it instagram's probably the best way I'll, I'll contact you pretty quickly on that one so the at the puzzled maker uh if you want to have a chat let me know all right well thanks for listening if you got this far and we'll catch you next time bye bye My name is Mary Loy, and I'm a welding major and a Marine. I chose Columbus State. Columbus State was an affordable way for me to try out different fields and find a career that I was excited about. One week into my first welding class, I fell in love with welding. It's in every building, every bridge, and every roadway that you drive on. I chose Columbus State. Now, I've found my niche in an industry that's shaping the skyline of Columbus. Columbus. 